Hello, my name is Yasmin and welcome to episode two of Risky Business. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Francesca Cavallo. She is a researcher, curator and writer based at the University of Kent. Her work focuses on the aesthetics of risk to change perceptions towards public health and disaster. Amongst her writing and teaching, she curated an exhibition in 2015 titled Risk at the Turner Contemporary in Margate. Hi Francesca, welcome. Welcome to my podcast. So diving straight in, uh, I want to ask you what has drawn you towards risk as a subject conceptually and academically okay so it was a while ago almost 10 years ago in 2011 and uh, i was studying an ma in um, cultural studies at the london consortium and we were doing a course on melancholia funny enough so something very different from risk and i come across uh, a, a video work by rosa barba an artist i really really like and she made a film called The Empirical Effect that was about the people living by the Vesuvius volcano in uh, south of Italy, near Naples. And uh, this film dealt with this, uh, so the protagonists of the film, they were the survivors of uh, uh, the last eruption of the volcano and they were spending time in this uh, observatory that was uh, basically the place that was going to be uh, predicting future eruptions of the volcano. And the, the film dealt with this idea of uh, the memory of past uh, disasters, uh, but also the need to deal with them in the future. And uh, sort of the volcano encapsulated this idea of past and future disasters. And that's what really struck me about the film and it was really really interesting so I, I wrote an essay about that and then I realized that risk as a field is uh, really designed around this uh, you know elaboration of past events calculate and as a as a useful um, calculation for the future so and also I was interested in the balance between this uh, kind of practical approach, which is the one of managing risk and preventing, uh, you know, negative consequences of disasters and things like that, but at the same time, the human side of this as well, how we as human uh, cope with this uh, knowledge of, you know, uh, disasters coming on the f in the future. So I just became very interested in the literature around risk and how, um, uh, artistic approaches, creative approaches, but also um, simply the emotional understanding of risk somehow could be connected with this very practical and proactive uh, you know, set of tools that have been designed over the last years around risk management. And yeah, obviously existential risk is the macro scale of all of this. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, it's such an interesting subject, especially artistically, because it is so broad and there's no one representation of risk. Like it's just very open ended. So and I think as well, a lot of us start off, you know, scared about natural risks and natural disasters. And uh, it's only in the past like 10, 15 or 20 years that we've started to actually think about more human related existential risks 
um, like AI and, and the development of, of technology is, as you know. Um, and then also I quite like as well in a previous, uh, you know, the, the video you did last year, um, uh, a kind conversation with Radar. And I like the way that you kind of tied it in as well with artists taking risks or public taking risks as well. So I thought that was like really interesting to, to listen to you talk about that. The idea of like a um, man-made disaster, some, somehow man-made disaster, I think in the last few years, our understanding of also man-made disaster has changed in a way that, uh, and this is actually going back to Rada, this like this is Ksenia Chamutna, she's a, a resilience uh, a scholar, even though she, she's very critical to the term resilience, but one of their main point is really that like, there's not such a thing as natural disaster. And this is, is very much, to do with the understanding of the Anthropocene and how, you know, what we imagine, like, you know, weather events or uh, floods, they are seen as natural disaster, but actually the way we understand them now is as a consequence of human actions. Because if we understand the humanity as an integral part of, you know, the system, the, the, uh, the, 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 the so-called nature, like the understanding of, of nature has changed. We're not separated any longer from nature. We are absolutely part of nature. We know that we cannot control nature as much, but we can, uh, you know, we are actually uh, provoking uh, effects that are now, you know, in the past we would have seen as natural, but not, they are actually man-made, you know. So in a way, yeah, Perhaps with a volcano eruption is a little bit more difficult, but if you think about the consequences of even natural disasters, uh, they are always, you know, uh, different and connected with the social and uh, economic situation. So, you know, if if there is a, a flood and uh, if, 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 if a city is, uh, is prepared to that, then the flood wouldn't be that much of a disastrous event. So you see what I mean? Mm. You know, poverty, yeah. inequality, all of those aspects are really embedded into this uh, perception of, you know, what we used to call natural disasters. So even more obviously, the, and then there are, as you said, uh, artificial intelligence, other things that we have actually, we are creating, and that's probably what the center of existential risk focus on um, yeah and uh, so what role do you think art has in mitigating these risks uh, and more specifically existential ones so i don't think like art has a role as such it's very difficult to kind of identify a role as such because i i suppose what uh art escape the the fact that art escapes those specific rules roles that's what perhaps is what it does that is good to people. So um, first of all, I think, and going back to that film, that film is, is really uh, how we uh, people deal with this knowledge of, you know, something that can destroy us. And uh, to process all those ideas, uh, I think, we can have different narratives of different ways of coping with those narratives. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, sometimes the artists can articulate those uh, aspects in a way that resonates to people more. 
and there's no like one specific way in which you can fit. Maybe people can say, you know, there's a lot that can be said about, you know, certain forms of direct communication, like, you know, the media or uh, public health messages, this kind of uh, way of approaching uh, risk communication and say that perhaps art is a little bit more indirect and enable people to reflect on things without giving a specific answer, which is what maybe a lot of people prefer rather than be told, you know. So this this kind of fact that art somehow refuses to preach, but mm -hmm. to kind of uh, um, enable people to reflect and understand and coming up with their own, mm -hmm. uh, you know, solution. But even though the solution there aren't, I mean, in terms of risk, it's pretty impossible to find solution. It's always about calibrating it, calibrating. And um, I feel like, um, you know, with, with what's happened with COVID in the past year, you know, we're getting a lot of public messages, we're sick of the messages, the, they keep changing them slightly and it's, it's been very confusing. And I mean, for me, I think I'm leaning more towards, like from what you say, it does feel like it, it is quite a subconscious level that people start to reflect on it and it's... That, that's like more effective. That's really interesting. Um, I think I can agree with you on that one. And also I, I feel like for me, I'm, I'm also leaning more towards humor as well as um, diffusing that fear, but engaging on a level that, that people can, can laugh at it, but also uh, like if I read something that's, you know, like think like watching Frankie Boyle always cracks me up uh, and he's just always, to the point and uh, says things in a way that, that is quite like, oh, well, God, like shocking. It's like a shock factor, but he's, he's right a lot of the time. So I think I'm leaning more towards thinking about comedy as well and, and uh, in that level of communication and, and creativity. Um, I don't know like how, how you, if you, if you feel like that's, that resonates at all. Yeah, I mean, there, I think there is a sophistication of messaging that uh, we need to strive for, like really have a diversity, diversity of messaging. And uh, it's, it's very interesting because obviously I've been looking at like uh, public health and prevention of accident uh, imagery from the beginning of the 20th century. So I've been looking at a little bit of the history of the, you know, safety first move, uh, movement and all um, you know, posters were made at the beginning of the 20th century to prevent accident at work or in the street. And then, and this is a, the, the, like what we see now is literally a leg, the legacy of this kind of, of, of work. But when they were made at the beginning, they were um, pretty much like, uh, you know, they were asking designers and artists, okay, how would you, you know, convince someone to wear goggles at, at work? And they will come out with all this, uh, this kind of very uh, visionary posters and uh, striking imagery. And I think a uh, uh, lot of work has been done over the years and different techniques have been used. Like, you know, in the 70s, it was a little bit more kind of shock. And then this, uh, this kind of advertisement for, the, uh, for stopping people, uh, drink, like drink driving, uh, you know, advertisement. They were very much uh, using the shock factor. And then look before so this is all like before covid no and then if you think about uh, anti-smoking campaigns if you look at a cigarette yeah. package this kind of like very gory uh, 
So all of this is the combination of obviously research in uh, behavioral sciences and psychology with design and uh, editorial choices. But that, uh, then in COVID, I think we all see this exploding in a, in a kind of a overwhelming way because it becomes just uh, ubiquitous and uh, obviously uh, so it's very difficult to understand what works best um, and, uh, um, you know, there are arguments for the shock factor because you need people to be shocked to kind of pay attention to things and, uh, uh, but the studies, I mean, what the literature I came across on the sort of risk perception and risk communication was very much that if you want, you know, people to take a message seriously, you have to increase what they call their level of self-efficacy. So basically is like, if you, you need, in the message, you need to tell people that there is something they can do about it. So scaring someone is not enough, like is not enough because actually this will make them feel depressed or stressed or even like disempowered. Exactly. It's always exactly. about containing an element of reassurance and some sort of like solution focus but this obviously can be very very clumsy as well it's like you know i looked at these posters that were made during uh, uh, like a few years ago when there was like this high risk of terrorism and bombing in the in the underground and they made this poster in the london underground see say it's sorted i don't know if you remember mm -hmm. them. yeah they still have it on the um they still the have it. it's it's really catchy it's yeah it's still there i think but at the same time, it's kind of like problematic. So in a way, you can see in this three word C, say it sorted. It's like this, this idea of wanting to um, make people aware that there is a risk. So a little bit of an element of a fear, but at the same time, sorted. Uh, so yeah. like, okay, you report someone wearing a, a, like having suspicious behavior and then you sort it, like yeah. solve the problem of terrorism. So yeah. I think that that's a kind of clumsy uh, example yeah. of wanting to apply those uh, self-efficacy attempt you know to people so they feel like because actually that was very problematic as well because of the picturing and you know is 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 a little bit difficult to increase encourage people to be suspicious of others you know what are the negative consequences of that mm. so i think it's really about finding the right balance and uh, and find it specifically uh, to the kind of risk that you want to communicate like mm. i know there is now a lot of research that is going into climate change communication and uh, how um, you know you you don't want people to make feel guilty because there has been so much uh, you know kind of guilt uh, inducive uh, messaging even or like ap apocalyptic messaging you know we did this event you you took part in this event with the extinction rebellion we were talking about that mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, there are a lot of organizations in the UK that they are doing amazing things uh, to, to study how to best communicate climate change and to also involve artists uh, in this, uh, this kind of processes. So mm. it's, it's interesting. I think it's, it's a lot, uh, there's a lot of learning going on and obviously COVID is accelerating all of this in, any, in, a, in a crazy way. What do you think? I mean, do we get too much messages? Um, I think people are definitely catching on to it more 
and um but it's yeah does that translate into enough action because i think everyone is kind of aware and you know we have the whole no plastic bag campaigns um and you know you go in the shop and they'll still offer you a bag it's like well what's the message like obviously corporations still seem to not care enough but i think on an individual level i think most people are quite aware of it, of what's going on but i think again it's the sort of choosing to ignore it and being scared but being put off so i think there definitely needs to be more effort and um, you know talking about it in government um on a level that people do realize that it's serious and then obviously you've got people that are then circulating rumors and, and and conspiracies that oh it's 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 all set up by it so and so and it's uh, people just trying to profit from it and um i mean obviously working with people who study this you know you don't doubt the evidence um but there's so many people that don't um see that and that level of, of research um and not you know accessible it's not accessible to them so i think i, I think as i i do have faith in the younger generations coming together i think more people are, are becoming more aware in the way that it's educated and i think as the risk gets more serious and it is more visual and we see the effects then i think people will start panicking and actually trying to do something more protesting and then and then at the same time you've got a lot of uh, targets that have been set um who knows if we meet them but yeah. i follow a lot of a lot of things that you know crop up on my newsfeed that's like oh planes to be carbon zero by this so it's kind of like you know sometimes there's a little bits of hope uh coming through yeah work and i think uh, another important thing about the messaging is the channels through this through which those messages come from and i think that's definitely like a lot of studies that can be done more on how different networks. So for example, I think there's an organization called uh, the Climate Knowledge, Climate Knowledge, no, sorry, what is it called? Climate Outreach. And uh, they, they've done a study recently called Britain's Talk Climate, in which they have looked at the diff how different public like if they, they put as almost like they put the, the, the English population in different kind of four or five macro categories and they said, okay, this kind of people respond to this kind of messages, whether this kind of people respond to a different kind of messages. But I think in addition to that, I think it's very important and that's here like art comes back into, it's not just about what an artwork says or what an artist said, but also is how art operates div across different channels that are maybe the ones of, you know, activism of politics or things like that. So someone that goes to an exhibition maybe is not someone that is necessarily you know, going, go to demonstration or goes to, is very into reading the news or politics, but then maybe he, encounter an, he encounters an artwork and, uh, you know, this, uh, this artwork, they make, they make it things. But so this means that it is, there is people that are just go, used to go to art exhibitions and that's how they get their messaging. That's where they get their messaging from. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of, of that that can be interesting as well so the more you kind of have a messages that goes across different 
you know, like through sport or through other other kind of uh, aspect that yeah. uh, get people involved, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously in, in recent years, we've seen the um, uh, the sort of culture declares movement. Um, and sometimes, again, that feels a little bit too little too late because the arts have only just sort of caught on to these disasters it feels it feels like it's it's um you know they could have said something a couple of years before and uh you know we've had a lot of uh, you know the demonstrations around the tate um and and i think they have been quite effective um in, in encouraging a kind of oneness throughout the uk and, and everyone joining together and saying yeah we're going to declare this the government we're going to try and push people to go in the right direction and, and again like you know the arts have got a history of of uh always been at the forefront of of pushing ideas and progress and um such so and, and that was kind of leading into my next question really about how you know the arts there's so there's the, the concept of risk has seems to be trending quite a bit um particularly towards ecological disaster. Um, so what do you think about um, this theme catching on? And um, how and do you think that it's, it's going to get better in the next sort of few years, like people will start listening more? So um, I think the terminology of risk as such is not uh, really prominent at the moment, apart of, you know, from when we think about the, the pandemic. But uh, uh, the themes that risk addresses, like the, the kind of the, the macro area, uh, they are obviously incredibly prominent. So what is interesting for me is that the, they are not necessarily framed as risk when they come across uh, when they come into different fields. And uh, I don't know if this is because there is like a, a, a just a simply different way of framing things and how, you know, the, the, the kind of literature on risk and the idea of risk is perceived uh, across different, uh, you know, fields. So for example, what really interested me when I you know, when I started being interested in risk, is, is how risk is framed as, and in relation to danger and risk as a, as a sort of a idea that uh, has not tangible manifestations. So the, the, the kind of debate about, okay, what, are, what is a real risk? There's nothing, you know, tangible about real risk. So how do you represent, how do you perceive risk? And that's what uh, becomes uh, fundamental. So that that kind of aspect and those kind of literature, they know. I don't think like many artists or many art institutions are familiar with that kind of framing. But at the same time, they are obviously now responding to some, you know, very prominent risks, like you know, obviously climate change, etc. But what I what I've noticed that a lot when you when you talk about risk, you know, people think about you know extreme performance art or think they they're not familiar with all of these uh, um, you know, studies that have been made, or maybe they identify risk with like corporate risk and financial risk and, uh, uh, or like, uh, you know, so I think there, are, there is a little bit of skepticism then to, towards using the terminology just because it's associated with a specific approach to disasters, uh, which is the one about calculation and the management. management. Mm -hmm. so, 
because there is a lot of criticism now uh, towards, uh, you know, very kind of positivist or calculative basis approaches to quantify risk. So I suppose there is also some hesitancy on using this as a, as a terminology or as a framework. You know, for example, if you think about uh, uh, a, a book that recently well, not that recent, what, a while ago came out, the Toby Ord one, uh, what is it called? Yeah, Precipice of human, Humanity, I think. Uh, yeah. Something, sort of just Precipice, I think. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's a very, you know, he's talking about all obviously these terrible things that can happen, uh, but he's uh, doing it in a way that is, you know, is calculating, so he's using the method methodology of calculating an estimation of risk to explain though, even those like macro uh, macro problems, uh, existential risk in fact, but maybe there are other people that are looking at, at the same, you know, scholars of the Anthropocene that are looking at the same kind of uh, upcoming uh, disasters uh, without necessarily framing them in terms of calculations. Mm -hmm. So I think re risk is interesting because it mediates this relationship between, uh, you know, what scientists are doing and what the people our understanding. So I think personally, I think that uh, the, the terminology and the language of risk is something we, like in theory, everybody should be familiar with. Uh, even if it, like one thing is because it may be useful or not, regardless of how you approach it and you think our oh, risk is, not, is just not the right approach to resolve problems. I think it's still very important to engage with this because uh, is the one, is the methodology that is used in a lot of decision making on like political level, on, you know, management, uh, corporate level. So risk is a huge part. And uh, I, I was listening to a super interesting podcast the other day that he was like, okay, how people can, um, you know, compare uh, financial risk with what they call physical risk. You know, because what happens is that a lot of uh, organizations, they've got a very good measures in place for financial risk. Like all their protocols are about like minimizing the risk of, of loss, of economic loss. But when it comes to physical risk, that can be the health of their employees or it can be, you know, even climate change and other factors. They're not as, as developed in terms of calculations. Mm -hmm. So they have like risk managers and health and safety measures, but they, they are different. So how do you negotiate this different uh, approach? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. I don't know if it yeah. makes much sense. No, that's really interesting. Um, are there any specific companies that you've looked at these or compared and uh, maybe, maybe you could interview them as a, as a project and sort of do an investigation? <laughs> Oh, well, that's as endless. All the yeah. To start researching this, there's so yeah. much. So to sort of summarize, are you kind of saying that um, when, when thinking about risk and communicating it in art, it's, it's better that artists don't think about the more sort of mathematical side of it and that that's, that's not effective? Um, it's not that it's not effective. It can be effective. I think it's important to critically engage with mm -hmm. all those methodologies, especially when those methodologies are so widespread. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, for me, art is what 
for me is the my favorite method for engaging critically with the world around me mm-hmm. kind of thing so that's uh, and i think when something like that is so prominent and so important we do we must engage critically so we can't be, just be said is saying oh you have to do this or you have to do that because that's how things as well uh, develop more and then they get more open-minded and uh, you know that's how science progresses like that you know it progresses through so-called peer reviewing and criticism of things so when something comes out a new methodology comes out or a new way of communicated communicating risk i think we we as individuals we we shall critically engage with this with these things which doesn't mean rejecting them or endorsing them completely but just have that kind of a, a mm. sort of feedback that can mm. yeah give things to to progress did you um did you see block projects um did a commission with somebody an artist called gary zeng um and it was that was quite interesting maybe i should link you to that but he he's done quite a lot of research and come up with um it's it's an online work and it's like constantly trying to calculate different disasters that can happen and he links it to insurance um it's quite interesting and he he did a talk about it um i i found it quite difficult I i didn't quite understand how he'd sort of programmed it but he I think he did speak to Caesar at one point and um I think it was more sort of sort of um leaning on the sort of uh, like insurance and, and corporation side uh, but but yeah it was definitely like uh, very interesting to like to visualize that it was um like there's a sort of chat that's going on and people are making predictions i think i'm not not describing it very well but yeah i'll link you to that so it's yeah it's interesting like there's just so many organizations like block projects radar uh the quartal institute that just jumping on this bandwagon of of thinking about the subject so yeah you're in business what is the quartal institute doing i didn't know that and they do they do some on they've been doing some lectures it's more to do with environmental yeah i know um, yeah 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 the anthropocene and the, the debates about environmental uh, issues you know they are like really the mainstream you know the general ecology project this is what really is going on in the arts at the moment so the the framing uh, is not necessarily um, on risk obviously is hugely related for me impressively related yeah cool um so i was thinking about touching on um some of your own work and um you've done quite a lot of workshops and talks um in recent years what have you found from your research um communicating safety and danger anything anything specific or interesting that you you've kind of noticed from from teaching students uh, and also you've, you've mentioned that uh, previously you've been recently, I'll reframe that, you've recently been working in Brazil, uh, doing an interesting project there, wondering if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. 
I mean, the project in Brazil is a, like, it's kind of an early stage because everything has been delayed uh, because of COVID, but it's, it's simply like uh, uh, trying to bridge this gap between uh, what artists are doing and uh, how we educate people about climate change. So it's focused on Brazil. It's part of a project called, uh, um, it's, it's part of an initial, like a, a sort of grant funding scheme in the UK called Global jo Challenges Research Framework. And it's about uh, doing projects that meet the sustainable development goals. There's 17 sustainable development goals. And uh, uh, in these projects, they always, you know, they're not framed as, a, as a, like, research, like they are research, but the objective of the, this research is really having an impact on uh, people's lives. So uh, they are, um, I just uh, started working on this project because I thought it was interesting to look at Brazil as a country uh, because of what has been happening, like, uh, uh, before uh, Bolsonaro, the current president, went into power, there was a lot uh, attention and a lot of initiatives about, uh, you know, ecology, climate change, obviously the need to protect the Amazon. There were like the fire in the Amazon, they were at their lowest. The, the, the Sao Paulo Biennial had a, like the, had a team around, uh, like it was really focused on environmental issues. And there is a long tradition in Brazilian art of you know, interest in, uh, in the, in, a, in, um, I know I don't even know how to say, I cannot say nature, I cannot say the environment, I can say, uh, you know, the, 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 being part of nature. And there is a very specific, in fact, a very specific approach to this that comes from this, uh, also this, uh, anthropologist, uh, called the Castro, Viveiros de Castro. And, uh, is really about how, again, we, there's no separation between human, humans and nature. And we are, um, you know, really founding, uh, the way of, uh, avoiding romanticizing, uh, what, uh, what, you know, could be, um, you know, a sort of a representation of disasters. And that's one of the criticism that, uh, you know, many do towards art. They say art doesn't do enough for, you know, for a climate change because, uh, uh, it does beautiful things and those beautiful things don't actually simulate people to take any action. Um, I disagree about that, actually. Uh, I think it's, it's actually because it does, you know, interesting or articulates ideas, interestingly. Uh, it's not necessarily about just about people taking action, but there is something that needs to be uh, happening before. And that's uh, the understanding. And I don't think people take action if they, you know, don't understand things in a kind of nuanced, interesting way. I think I went off the tangent, but by the way, okay. yeah. <laughs> this is a, this is the project. It's about looking at what artists are doing now in the last three years in uh, in Brazil to about climate change. But obviously, this is again another problem because what's happening with COVID is is just uh, it's just a little bit difficult. But uh, that there are some wonderful works that I've come across and. Um, and uh, hopefully, I'm hoping to organize an event like a focus uh, in, on Brazil, uh, because uh, so Julie's bicycle, which is this uh, very major organization yeah. around climate change, has a has a project that is called. Uh, um, 
what is it called? Oh, don't remember. It's okay. <laughs> they did a festival in November and they are doing the, this festival again, just in the build up to, to Glasgow. And they uh, inviting people, uh, organization to take part in this program or just proposing their own project. So I have, I am interested in doing like a leader of, um, kind of event, like maybe a mini symposium around uh, with a focus on Brazil and climate change. I mean, there is all, obviously the issue of, uh, you know, climate change very much being framed in the past few years around melting ice and polar bears and this kind of very uh, usual narratives, but it is also about in the specific how actually climate change uh, is understood in relation to things that are already happening there, like, uh, you know, floods and, uh, uh, you know, the, the problem around the coastal areas, the risk of, uh, you know, they say that, you know, the the Amazon can become a savanna, not just because of the, of the obviously the, the the fires, but also as an effect of climate change. Well, they say if they destroy even like a quarter of it, it absorbs most of the world's oxygen. Um, so it's pretty scary to think, you know, even just a, a small amount, um, or you know, the rate that they're cutting it down has a massive impact. On the rest of the world it's not just a local impact it's it's it, everybody we're, we're interconnected and it will affect everyone so it's it's pretty scary um and then the same goes for all the species that are getting wiped out yeah so i think one thing that i i've, I've learned throughout like one of the things i've learned throughout the project this process is that maybe before I was really thinking about ideas of deep time and the you know existential risk as how this uh, uh, risk in like thousands of years can be materialized in the present and that's what's for me something quite interesting to look into but something I've learned as well is very much uh, you don't need just that much to look into the future you can just look into the present and how you pay attention to the present and what's what's uh, happening around you in the world and uh, you can see you know the the sort of experience you know there's a lot of talking at the moment of like even indigenous people have some some sort of like post post-apocalyptic uh, mm -hmm. they have experienced the apocalypse in a way with the genocides uh, of many of many people so it's uh, so look for like more like look for the signs now rather mm -hmm. than you know uh, yeah. Um, so would you say you're more concerned out of all the risks that are existential, you're most concerned about climate change? Um, not particularly. <laughs> it's like, like at the moment I'm talking, I'm, I'm just, I'm researching that because I just needed to focus, but I think, um, um, I mean, uh, what is very interesting at the moment is really that risk is everywhere in so many aspects even more than before and then before maybe we could have been a little bit okay this is just like boring you know have been reminded of health and safety once you you know you are completely fine you know so you're scared you're scared all the time then of everything <laughs> stuff. no i think uh, i think it's really about acceptance actually for me for me is really and the kind of things i'm reading now as well is it's really about how we, we 
we understand that we are really small and we are we are part of something much much bigger so i think there is an element as well in which we need to let go um, you know obviously we need to uh, do as much as we can to uh, reverse of correct the huge mistakes and the huge uh, negative impacts that uh, we have had on the planet but at the same time it's really about also uh, you know kind of having a different uh, uh, understanding of life itself and uh, how we you know we will it, there's something about death as well how we will like we will disappear but that's like I think understanding our finitude as part of also something else understand so it just goes into very it's a process spiritual like like if we die out you know our nature will probably come back species will recover and yeah and what that's another question existential risk is is it so bad if we do get wiped out um, it's bad for us but not for the rest of the planet so yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a, so this uh, uh, if we want to take the positive things, it's really about rethinking even how we as humans have been focusing uh, in the last you know two or three hundred years about you know technologies and uh, management and the kind of building around us, the constructing the tools to govern and control what's around us and I think at the moment is really okay but what 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 other approaches can we have how can we actually um, you know be a little bit more humble as humans and how we can connect more to what's, to what's around us so if you think about it like every individual will die anyway so how we deal with this death mm. And so on a macro scale as well, humanity, how do we deal with that? You know, we, we, we obviously need to do the, our best, but at the same time, we, I think we need to also mm. kind of take that into the picture and say, yeah, that may, that may happen. I think um, I'm, I'm quite with you on the whole acceptance. Like, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was in Leicester post-uni and just became very political and interested in activism. But after a while, it is so exhausting. Like you do go into the wormhole of like looking at the Guardian and like seeing how everything is going wrong. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm edging ever closer to, to 30 at the moment. And, and I think it's like, I'm not going to become complacent, but I'm going to do the best I can, but there's only so much that I can do. Um, so yeah, I'm quite with you on that one. So again, you know, it goes back to this discourse that we were having about self-efficacy. So, you know, a bit of the criticism that has been made even to Extinction Rebellion is this idea of like blaming and uh, uh, adopting this very apocalyptic uh, language. And now I think he's is switching a little bit more just because we can't be even more depressed. <laughs> so yeah, we just need a bit of hope. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens after COVID if Extinction Rebellion make a little comeback or maybe they've taken a, a break and a, and a revisit. Of, I think of we're actually looking at something very interesting which is about financing. So there is a lot that can be done, you know, in terms of how you really reach out uh, to people that 
have extreme leverage in decision making and how you divert funding to uh, things that are more sustainable or more you know respectful so there's a there's a lot of way i'm i'm sure this situation is slowing down a lot but it's also is accelerating something else hopefully yeah cuz like yeah how i've how i've come into it as well is through the sort of sponsor, sponsorship angle and um yeah it does sort of come down i think to philanthropy a lot of, at the end of the day and yeah diverting those resources to better places that they get utilized um but then that, that that's down to criticism as well um that can go wrong but yeah and and again there is a huge risk that i mean uh, is a reality i suppose that a lot of uh, company and organization that just uh, they realize that certain language resonates to people you know the language of sustainability or like the organic things and the good for the world and no mm -hmm. you know no this and not that in this in this product but how much of this is actually real and how much is marketing that's also kind of huge <laughs> cool Great. Well, thank you so much. I don't know if there's anything else to mention, but I guess that's a good point to wrap up on. Uh, join me next week for another podcast. And uh, thank you, Francesca, for coming on board today. Oh, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much.